I want to begin by bringing us to 2 Timothy chapter 4, some of the very last words written by the Apostle Paul. And in chapter 4, after he said things such as, I kept the faith, I fought the good fight, I finished the course. Then in verse 8, he speaks of, there's a crown of righteousness awaiting him as a recompense, as his reward as an overcomer. Only then did our brother have the assurance that he had finished the course and was an overcomer. And then he concluded that verse, verse 8, by saying, this recompense, this crown, is not only for Paul, but for all those who have loved his appearing. We need to be careful. He doesn't say here, those who love the Lord. That's without question. But those who love the Lord's appearing, they are longing for the Lord to return. They want to see him. They want the veil to be uplifted, to have face-to-face, direct contact, having been raptured to him. Then in verse 10, Paul mentions another kind of love. He says, for Demas has abandoned me. And we know from other verses that Demas had been a co-worker with Paul for quite a period of time. But he abandoned him. That's a strong word. He wanted nothing to do with Paul. It would be a risk to be one with the apostle who's about to be martyred. Who knows what would happen to any one of his co-workers. So Demas abandoned him. Then Paul gives the reason. Having loved the present age. If a co-worker of the Apostle Paul, under certain threatening or challenging conditions, could abandon Paul and his ministry because he loved the present age, We need to have the divine enlightenment in the Lord's presence into the depths and complexity of our fallen being. That in the flesh, in the self, which are still here, we are capable of any kind of failure. So this is, on the one hand, an appeal, a word of encouragement to those who love the Lord's appearing. If the Lord would appear now and say, it's time, I'm bringing you to the throne, we would immediately amen and respond. But in contrast to that is another kind of love for the present age. Now let's pay attention to this simple word age in this context. 
from the point of view of God's eternal purpose being worked out in time, we may use the word age in a positive way, referring to a dispensation, uh, a long period of time during which the Lord is active to carry out certain things. So there was the age before law, the age of the law. Now we're in the age of grace, also known as the age of the church and the age of mystery. When the Lord returns, the age will change. It will be the age of righteousness, the age of the kingdom. But the word age is used frequently in the New Testament to refer to certain temporal aspects of Satan's world system. From the time that Cain was thrust out and began to establish a city, a godless human culture appeared on the earth. People have to exist. They need certain things. This is according to our human needs. But the enemy takes advantage of this to systematize every aspect of human life. Food, clothing, dwelling place, transportation, finances, health care, recreation, whatever it is. And this world system has been in existence for thousands of years. And a period of time in the history of Satan's world system is considered the age, the present age, an epoch, a period of time in which the God of this age, that's Paul's word in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, is operating in a certain way to work out his evil intentions on the earth, to deceive people, to usurp everything, to keep God's people from faithfully carrying out his purpose. So there is something known as the present age. And in the present age, there is what we may call the spirit, the atmosphere, the climate of that age. <clears throat> the Germans, and I don't know German, and I'm not German, invented a useful word, Zeitgeist. Zeit meaning time, Geist is spirit. It is an invisible force behind the scene, governing and directing the thoughts, beliefs, values, and practices of those living on the earth during that period of time. This now brings us almost to the subject of my fellowship, which I'll define to you in a few minutes. It brings us to the two kinds of salvation. The first kind of salvation in its completeness is eternal salvation through which we are justified by grace through faith. Our sins are forgiven. We have believed into the Son of God, believed in our heart God raised him from the dead. 
we confess Jesus is Lord. He enters into us as the Spirit. We are born of God. We're regenerated. We're children of God. This is eternal. We will be there in the new heaven and new earth as the environment. The new Jerusalem, the wife of the redeeming God, will be fully developed and manifested. And part of that complete salvation is God's complete salvation mentioned in Romans. Objectively, we're saved by grace, we're reconciled, our sins are forgiven. Now we are being saved much more in life. So this is all one category of God's complete eternal salvation. But in a portion such as Philippians 2 verse 12, Paul speaks about working out our salvation. And God is operating in us, both the willing and the working of his good pleasure. And I will turn now to Philippians 2 to point out uh, uh, an important aspect of the context. So Paul is saying, So then, my beloved, verse 12, even as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more, much rather in my salvation, my, my, my presence, my absence, sorry, much more rather in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Then down to verse 15, he gives us the goal for this. That you may be blameless and guileless children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine as luminaries in the world. Paul speaks about a crooked and perverted generation. That's the generation living in this age, under the God of this age, having the thoughts and views and values of this age, having the attitude, the beliefs, the mood, the attitude, of the age, of loving the particular things of this age, of delighting in certain things. Demas loved it. There must be something in the present age appealing to various types of human souls, appealing to the flesh, to the self, to the natural life, to our cultural concepts. But this is part of a crooked and perverted generation. As early as Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching the gospel openly for the first time. And thousands were saved and baptized. And Peter told them, you must be saved from this evil generation, this evil age. So the second kind of salvation is what I want to emphasize for the remainder of the time. That is being saved from this present evil age 
saved from the influence of the God of this age, delivered from the thoughts, the values, the beliefs, the standards of this age, and to devote our life to building up the church as the body of Christ. But from this point on, in the remainder of my sharing, I want to use a different description for the church, which is the body of Christ, and the bridge, the transition from this definition that we all have in mind, the church, the body, we read in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, concerning the corporate Christ. We are members one of another. We are part of the corporate Christ. And there is a symbol used in the Old Testament as part of the history, but used in the ministry to convey a divine burden. There's a symbol for the church that we're building up today, and that is the ark constructed by Noah and his family and whoever during those many years befriended him and maybe gave him a little help. Building the ark, the corporate Christ. Now I want to turn to Matthew 24 and point out two precious matters that are very closely connected. And they both are related to the approaching consummation of the age. So this is Matthew 24, starting at verse 37. This is the Lord speaking. For just as the days of Noah were, so will it be, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. The days of Noah, just as the days of Noah were, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. There will be on the earth In this generation, in this age, under the spirit and God of this age, there will be a way of living almost identical with the living of that generation that was destroyed by the flood. The generation from which Noah and his family were saved. Verse 38. For as they were in those days before the flood, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day in which Noah entered into the ark. And they did not know that judgment was coming until the flood came and took all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So we need to have a clear view, or at least begin to have a clear view, of the two sides of the world situation, not so much 
the geopolitical situation, but the way of living, especially in affluent countries. It will be like the living in the days of Noah, full of violence, lawlessness, all degrees of sinfulness, people eating and drinking as if there's no tomorrow, things will never end. Let's just enjoy the present moment. But while the vast majority of the people on the earth, including a very high percentage of Christians on the earth, God will be doing and is doing a particular work. The Lord has in his recovery what we can call using an expression Brother Lee gave to us, there is Noah's family, in quotes. We are a group of redeemed, regenerated believers who realize this age is approaching its end. We're nearing the consummation of the age I do not presume to guess years or try to figure out time. I will not do that. But surely we're nearing the end. And the expression consummation of the age, especially the word consummation, indicates a process has been taking place that is reaching its completion and fulfillment. And what is the process, according to God, that is taking place in this age? That is building up the church as the body of Christ, the new man, to be the bride prepared for the bridegroom. But another way of referring to this building is the ark signifying the corporate Christ. It is very much in my heart and in the heart of many serving brothers and sisters that the younger saints, whether they're truly still young working saints or middle age in various stages working saints. It's in our heart that they will have a clear view of this present age. And yes, we all have to live outwardly in the world system. We have to earn a living care for our health, provide for our family, have a healthy diet, have a place to stay, fulfill our human responsibilities. But there's a line that some need to draw. And that is, yes, I'm living in this age. But I am not part of this age. I do not love this age. I love the Lord's appearing. And I am here living for and participating in the building up of the ark. I'll come back to this matter of the ark as time allows. But I want to say just this one thing now. What did that ark do for Noah and his family? Well, two main things. The first, being in the ark, signifying, typifying Christ. 
save them from God's judgment on that evil generation. They were in the ark. By being in the ark, they were saved from that judgment. But they were also saved from and to. They were saved from that evil, crooked, perverted generation. And the ark that saved them from that evil generation saved them into another age. We know from the accurate interpretation of Genesis that the ministry has blessed us with. When Noah and his family came out of the ark, in typology, they were in a new age. And human government was established for the first time. And that was a miniature in symbol of the kingdom. That ark rescued them from the God of this age, the age itself, from the evil generation, from the godless living, from the unrighteous living. They were saved from that. And they were saved into the kingdom in typology. Today, we are Noah's family. And we know from the Lord that this age is coming to an end. And it will end with not only tribulation and an hour of trial, but with a manifestation of God's righteous judgment that this earth has never seen. And anyone and anything that is part of this generation and is not built into the ark that will save them and transport them, they will perish with this generation. Why? Because they loved the present age. Now I go back to Matthew 24 and I read the verses from 37 through 39 and that was all about as it was in the days of Noah so will it be when the Son of Man comes. The situation will only worsen. In the last 10 years, this is without question. The condition morally, ethically, humanly in the United States has degraded at a shocking pace, the changes in values, a Supreme Court inventing a law, redefining marriage, and that permeating the spirit of the age. This is just one indicator. This will only increase as it was in the days of Noah. But in the following verses, immediately connecting to the verses I just read, 
the Lord says this, at that time, two men will be in the field. One is taken and one is left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One is taken and one is left. Watch therefore, for you do not know in what day your Lord comes. I point out that verse 40 begins with the words, at that time. Be two men will be in the field. Two women grinding at the mill. These are believers. And they are living a normal, practical, day-by-day human life. The two men in the field are two men working in their jobs in their profession, whatever it is, they are fulfilling their human responsibility. They're not being idle and saying the Lord is coming. We don't have to do anything to take care of ourselves. That is contrary to the Lord's word. But one is taken in rapture, and the other is not. Why is that? And of the two women, again involved in daily activities, ordinary labor, cleaning the house, laundry, whatever the responsibilities are, doing their jobs, whatever it may be, carrying out their professional responsibilities, whatever that may be. But one is taken and the other not. This refers to rapture at that time. At that time. At that time, when this generation has reached its lowest point. When the great tribulation will soon begin, the last three and a half years. Those years are the consummation of the age. So the two men, the two brothers, outwardly, they're the same. They work diligently on their jobs. They come on time. They do their work. They fulfill their responsibilities. But suddenly, one is taken in rapture. The other is not. Why? Well, our God is not arbitrary. He is the one who searches the inward parts And our hearts, as the Lord mentions in Revelation 2, speaking to Thyatira. And he realizes the inward condition of the two men is not the same. One of the men, one of the brothers, while he's working outwardly, diligently, responsibly, humanly, at his job, inwardly, and simultaneously, he's living to the Lord. He's living in the divine and mystical realm in his spirit. He is one with the Lord. He's receiving, dispensing, and transmitting from the throne. Whenever there's a prompting from the Lord's spirit and his spirit, he responds. 
And he loves the Lord's appearing. He doesn't love the present age. He is inwardly separated from everything of the world. Even the things that in a human way are valuable to him. I like this sport coat. Oh, my my collected works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. He is clinging to nothing. Unlike Lot's wife, he does not look back because he's not part of this evil age. He has been saved from this generation. But the other one is totally unaware of what goes on in the divine and mystical realm. He wants to advance his career. He wants something in the world. He still loves money. Whatever it is. He's attached to this age. Outwardly. And truly he's a brother. But he has not been built into the corporate Christ, the ark. The same with the two women. I repeat a little bit for emphasis. Outwardly, they're the same. They're both believers. Let's just speak of the Lord's recovery. They're both in the church. In an outward practical way at least, both of them are in the church life. But one is taken and the other is left. Why? For the same reason. The one who was taken had experienced the dividing of soul and spirit and therefore could live in the physical realm and in the divine and mystical realm at the same time, outwardly being a normal working woman, a normal spouse, mother, grandmother. All of this as normal as can be, as proper as can be. But inwardly, for years, she has been living not for this age. She does not love the present age. She does not love the world. She does not love the things of the world. She loves God the Father. She's been living for the will of God, which is to build up the church, the ark, the corporate Christ. And she loves the Lord's appearing. She has prayed for this, like the lover in Song of Songs chapter 8. She longs for this. So she was saved. The brother was saved. And throughout the earth, there will be brothers and sisters in so many different places that have been living in this way in the divine and mystical realm. They've been living for the building up of the ark. They are longing for this age to turn. They are praying for the Lord to come back. They love his appearing. And they will be corporately the ark. And by being in that ark, by being built into the ark, they will be saved from 
and they will be saved too. They will be saved from the present evil age. Even as they're living in this time frame and realize what are the common philosophies now, what the mainstream media say about morality and marriage, family, and gender. They're not influenced by it at all. They obeyed and assimilated Paul's word in Romans 12. Do not be fashioned according to this age. They did not allow the spirit of this age, the ideas, the beliefs, the characteristics to shape their thinking, to change their values. They were willing to be considered strange or weird. They were willing to be persecuted for their faith. It was an honor to them to suffer for the Lord's name. So they have been saved out from the judgment on this present evil age and saved into the coming kingdom. They're longing to be produced as overcomers. They're longing to be among the co-kings. They're longing to be welcomed into the wedding dinner will be fulfilled. Now I want to share something that shows the actuality and practicality of what I've been trying to communicate to you. For the last more than 20 years, I have to just refer to the actual facts, but I'm not singling out any group I just have to refer to an actual situation. For more than, for about 20 years, in December, I've been going to the San Francisco Bay Area for a week. And we have usually three conference meetings. Plus, fellowship with the leading brothers, Saturday morning, Maybe a question and response time, Thursday evening. And in December of 2018, I was there again with a particular burden along this line, being saved from the present evil age, being saved from the crooked and perverse generation. And on Friday night, the meeting was in the meeting hall of the church in San Francisco. The meeting room was filled to overflowing. And so many dear, precious, young working ones, young adults, many of them still in their 20s or in their 30s. And I don't know the percentage, but the vast overwhelming percentage had excellent jobs in the companies in that area. They could work for Google. They could work for this and that. But clearly they loved the Lord. They exercised their spirit. Their hearts were open. Their sharing after the message was Delightful. And I told the audience that night, and I believe I did so with a pure spirit and a pure heart. I said, tomorrow night, Saturday night, I have the burden to release 
a very powerful word. The burden is very heavy. I don't think I've ever said just a word as this in a conference context. With the, with the hope that the saints would realize the value, the importance of the Saturday night conference meeting. And I was burdened for all the saints, but especially this age group. And then we had a meeting at the conference center in South San Francisco with a very good attendance, an excellent response. And I can say before the Lord, the burden was discharged. But after the meeting and further the next day, an elder in one of the churches and a co-worker there, he shared with me how few of the young adults were in that meeting. How few that were present the night before Friday were there. And this brother, he went online in a certain way. I, I didn't know that particular kind of technology. I don't, I don't Facebook. I don't tweet. I don't communicate this way. And he went online and saw many of them were happily sharing their fun, their enjoyment on their Saturday night. One young couple, they were let, letting others know we're at the Warriors basketball game. Others are having a gourmet meal, probably with wine. Well, this left an impression with me as an illustration. The Lord knows my heart. I don't condemn anyone. I don't judge anyone. I don't view myself as superior to anyone. But what is my deep concern is indicated by the way they approach the church life is that they have one foot in the church and the other foot in the world system of this age. So Saturday night, that's their night. That's their time. And that was their period of time to at least enjoy, I won't say indulge, at least enjoy and delight in some pleasant aspect to them of this present age. And this indicates a view of the church life that it's possible for any one of us to have but especially those that have high-paying jobs and they have money they've never had before and they're able to buy this and that and do this and that and go here and there. They may set up their own kind of structure. They call it balance. And I've been asked questions sometimes about balance. How do you balance the church life, the Christian life, with all the things that we need to do for our living, or the things we like to do? And I said, okay, here's a word for balance. Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. 
This is balance, Matthew 10. He who loves father or mother, son or daughter, more than me, is not worthy of me. This is the kingdom word, the Lord saying, what is first? Then when we settle what is first, then we read Paul's epistles, like First and Second Timothy, Second Thessalonians. If someone won't work, he shouldn't eat. You need to work. That's a law. You have to provide for your family, your household, or you're worse than an unbeliever. If there's a widow and she's not that elderly, take care of her. Don't ask the church to do that. There is the human side. But this is very different from setting up a schedule. Okay, a brother's here for a conference. I can do Friday. Sorry, you got plans on Saturday. Well, that kind of view of the church life keeps someone out of the genuine building up of the corporate Christ as the ark. The church life is just one of a number of things. And only the heart-knowing Lord knows what is first. Maybe your job is first. Maybe your career is first. Maybe money is first. Maybe this kind of enjoyment is first. The Lord knows. But now we come back, and in the remaining five or seven minutes, I'll try to bring the things together. I don't dare or presume to try to interpret the spiritual significance of the worldwide pandemic that has afflicted people all over the earth. But it's not an accident. Surely the enemy is behind it. To attack what he wants, to gain what he wants, but the sovereign God in Christ on the throne is watchful over everything and allowed this to happen for a reason. Maybe one day we will know. But in principle, catastrophes like tsunamis drastic earthquakes, terrible storms. These are warnings from God. These are a call to repentance. This is an indicator that the judgment is coming. Wake up. Wake up. Reconsider your standards, your values, what you're living for. What are you here for? Look how in a short period of time, so much is shut down. Now, who can go to an NBA game? To a professional baseball game? To a nightclub? To so many things. It may be a warning. This age is coming to an end. The Lord made it clear himself that the vast majority of the people will not pay attention to the word God will be speaking. Moses preached righteousness. I think it's Second Peter who tells us this. While he was building the ark, he was announcing righteousness to his generation. 
And righteousness implies God's judgment. And while we are building the ark, the corporate Christ, more and more we should be proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom to this generation. Surely there are thousands, maybe a few millions of dear human beings on the earth that the Lord wants to save during this pandemic. Lord, save them. Gain them. Give them repentance. Infuse the ability to have faith into them. But I'm even more concerned about the Lord's recovery itself. How will we end when the trial comes and when it's costly for any one of us to stand with the Lord's recovery, to stand in unshakable oneness with the work and the ministry and the administration in the churches? There will be a test. Those who love the Lord's appearing will fight the good fight, will keep the faith. They will finish the course. But some will abandon because they love the present age. May the Lord enlighten us, all of us. The Lord's heart is for us. Many years ago, many, many years ago, still in the 1970s, Brother Lee arranged to have a lunch on a Thursday with all all those that were serving Living Stream and his ministry and the ministry meetings in any way. Those who helped with parking, those who helped with cleaning, played the piano. Uh, ushering those serving in Living Stream itself and the publications. And we had a meal together. Then I remember vividly the two things Brother Lee shared with much burden. The first was he expressed his thankfulness and his appreciation for all their service. He just honored all the serving ones, knowing that he could not carry out this ministry in a practical way with all these serving ones. But it's the second matter that is still with me, as if I heard it just yesterday. And he said, he expressed a concern. Here you are working. You are serving. But I'm concerned that you might be like some of those people at Noah's time who might help him a little, carry the wood to do this. They would help. But they themselves did not enter the ark. They did not participate in the work that was actually taking place. Then Brother Lee said his concern was that we all may be helping him, may be serving him but may not be entering into and participating in the reality of this ministry and its burden. And it was during that period of time he gave messages on Noah's family and on the ark typifying the corporate Christ, the church. 
and how this ark will be our salvation. Not only from God's judgment, but from the present evil age and the God of this age. And this ark would save us into the coming kingdom. So this is my burden, brothers and sisters, whoever you are, wherever you are. I can't be with you physically, obviously, but you're all in my heart. You're in my heart. I don't judge anyone. I don't give up on anyone. But my heart is crying out to this generation. Be saved. Work out your salvation through the God who is operating in you. Don't have one foot in the church and the other in the world system of the present age. Brothers, be like the man in the field who was taken. Sisters, be like the woman that was grinding at the mill and was taken. At whatever age we are, we should live a normal human life as much as possible. I'm an elderly person now. What I need to deal with is very different from someone who's 30 years old. In a sense, what I have to overcome is somewhat different from what you have to overcome. But I'm still in this struggle. But there's something more important than whether one brother, I'm referring to myself, whether or not I receive the crown. I long for that. I love the Lord's appearing. I want him to be able to say, well done. But that is actually secondary. What's primary is that the desire of the Lord's heart is fulfilled in his recovery. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And here we are, not simply engaged in outward service activities only, not only attending meetings. We are giving ourselves to the Lord. And as today's Noah's family, we are building the ark, the corporate Christ. And when this ark, the corporate Christ, is built and the bride of Christ is ready, the Son of Man will come. And we want to be in that ark because we spent the days of our life intrinsically on building up the ark and building ourselves into the ark. May the saints of all ages throughout the earth, those who are 90 plus, those just leaving middle age, those from 40 to 70, those that are young adults, those that are college age, those that are still teenagers. May the Lord save us from the influence of the spirit of this age. Save us from being fashioned according to this age. Let's consecrate our body a living sacrifice. Be renewed in the spirit of the mind and be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Then serve with burning spirit to build up the ark, to be saved from this age and to be saved into the coming age. Remember, as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be when the Son of Man comes. At that time, two men were in the field. 
two women were grinding at the mill. We have to stay in the field. We're human. We have to stay at the mill. We're human. But in our inner being, we are living for the will of God, for the purpose of God, for the heart's desire of God. We are here to consummate God's economy and to be the dispensational instrument to end this age and to bring in the coming age of the kingdom. May the Lord have mercy on all of us in his recovery all over the earth. May there be open vessels that will receive his shepherding, his saving, his reconciling, his healing, is restoring and may the ark be built up every day, every week, every month, every year because we do not know what day it will be when the Son of Man comes. But when that day comes, I want to be with you in the ark the corporate Christ. May the Lord bless you all abundantly in every way, in every situation. Praise his name.